Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Stagecraft. Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth interviews with the creators and stars of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'll be talking to the puppeteer Basil Twist, the mastermind behind Symphony Fantastique, a surreal show set to Berlioz's 1830 symphony in which puppeteers manipulate fabric, feathers, fishing lures, glitter, bubbles, and a lot more, all in a 1,000-gallon tank of water. It's a viewing experience that's been likened to an underwater ballet or an experimental film. It might sound like the kind of artsy downtown thing that'll never catch on with audiences, but the current Symphony Fantastique is the 20th anniversary production of a show that Twist premiered in 1998 at Here Arts Center, the downtown Manhattan venue where the show is back after touring the world. Since 98, Twist has gone on to win a MacArthur Genius Grant and work in theater, dance, and opera across the globe, including on Broadway, where he's designed puppets for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Oh Hello on Broadway, The Pee Wee Herman Show, and The Addams Family. He's here in the studio with me to talk about all that and more. Hey, Basil. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So it's been 20 years since you first did Symphony Fantastique, so congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you. Uh, Did you ever think that it was something that would uh, survive as long as it did? Um, I I guess I, I didn't know if it, I mean, I had no idea when we first did it. I thought it was just going to be like a little weird experimental thing we did for two weeks. And, um, and 20 years ago, it ended up running for almost two years. Right. So, um, I've packed it away and I bring it out every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and the, but the last time I did it was six years ago in Washington D.C. So um, I don't know. It's the show that just keeps on chugging along. Do you enjoy coming back to it every time you do? I do. I love it. Why? Um, it's a fun show. Yeah. I and it's very. Um, it's it's kind of it is a very essential sort of definition of puppetry in my eyes. Mm. This sort of abstraction this this essence this really pure um non-representational weird (laughs) it's a little excessive and um and it's all wet and that's fun does it mean something different to you every time you come back to it do you find um hmm uh 
I mean, it means something different to me now that I'm like looking at it from 20 years later that it's just it's like so surreal because it is it's the same show Mm -hmm. and it seems like I mean I made it when I was in my 20s and (laughs) and I'm like wow how did I do that and and it still seems to um please and feel um fresh and that that's just wild right it's like I God, I, I didn't even have a cell phone then. Um, they I, barely existed. At the no, time, right? yeah. no, and so it's like the show. The world is so different, and I'm that like I when I say twenty years, I kind of can't believe it. But then when I really started working on it and seeing like oh God, all this stuff that I used to buy on Canal Street and all those stores are closed now, and I can't <laughs> get them, and I can't. It's like wow, it really has been twenty years. Yeah. Um, but the show feels fresh, and and so I don't know, makes me happy. And so, where did that initial idea come from? Where did underwater come from? Where did well, the first idea was to I really wanted to make something abstract. So that's the kind of the most sort of important thing about the show for me is that it's most puppetry is representational. Right. Most puppets look like something else, and instead. I just took the raw materials and kind of tried to make them come alive. Right. And um, and I thought that I was going to do actually, um, I thought I was going to do only one part of it underwater. Symphony Fantastique oh. is in five parts, and I was going to do the third movement underwater. I had found a little aquarium. On that actually the, sounds even more complicated than yeah, what no, you're doing right now, That's right? way too complicated. So... Um, Wait, sorry, you, you found a little aquarium. I found a little aquarium on the street um, in near my studio in the West Village, and I brought it in, and I started playing with it, and, I, and it was cool. And, <laughs> and I thought, ooh, this could be cool for part of a show. And so Symphony Fantastique was, has five movements, and the third movement was going to be underwater. But actually, in the end, the water was so cool, and it's also so complicated to deal with because it's heavy and wet and messy and doesn't move around easily. I just wisely decided to put the whole show in this giant aquarium. And it is a thousand gallons now. It was five hundred gallons the yeah. first time around. Is that right? Yeah, it was five hundred gallons twenty years ago. And I I made another production um, that opened in San Francisco a year later. It, that's where I'm from, and. Um, and so this is that physical production. So this physical production is 19 years old. Wow. Still pretty old. Do the And are you still using the same pieces of fabric and Basically. That, wow. I mean there are some things that there are some things that are, are replaced. Right. Um, but a lot of it is the same is exactly the same stuff. And when you said to here, which for people who don't know here, uh, it's a sort of scrappy downtown arts center. Um, yeah. Maybe a little less scrappy now than it was 20 years ago, but well, not much. it's now a venerable yeah, exactly. downtown scrappy. arts institution <laughs> right. since it's celebrating its 25th anniversary. Right, right. And so what did they, when you said, I want to get a giant tank of water and do an abstract puppet piece there, what did they say? They were like, okay. I mean, they're so, <laughs> they're so... Um, supportive of artists and their and their weird ideas and particular things that don't fit into um regular categories of dance theater music um and puppetry um 
is always kind of in that space in between. Yeah. So um, sort of the original. Well, you've worked in all of the above, right? Uh, I have. Genres, yeah. I have, but I started in puppetry. Right. So like all, every, you know, every for me, everything springs from that place of being a puppeteer, which then it brings me to dance. It brings me to theater. It brings me to music or opera or ballet. Mm-hmm. And so for people who haven't seen the show, describe some of the stuff you use to create the images uh, in the water. Well, the basic, the the essential image is fabric underwater. That's the main star of the show is a piece of fabric that's moving underwater, which is actually as simple as it sounds. It's exquisite. It's totally, it's super expressive. It's the most perfect dancer it um, and we're using this incredible piece of music, Symphony Fantastique, which in this case now is being played live on a piano. Oh yes, that's worth mentioning because yeah. it was recorded the first time it around, right? It was recorded yeah. before, but over the years, I, I, I met this artist Christopher O'Reilly, who's outstanding and an extraordinary musician, and he fell in love with the show, and he's he's part of the project, and he's he's performing the score live on the piano, and then just sort of just behind the piano sort of soaring out of the the you know the belly of the piano is this um this imagery which is all underwater fabric bubbles tinsel feathers light um anything that i could put underwater (laughs) that would look cool and really you can put almost anything underwater and it looks cool and then it's all lit um, yeah, light plays a big role. Light yeah. plays a big role. Light also takes on a physical quality in the water. Um, we put ink in the water. Um, there's projections. There's mirrors. It's like a weird psychedelic light show um, in 3D. It looks like a you know a really outrageous sort of screensaver or something, but it's all yeah. analog, live, and real. And it's actually a very kind of old-fashioned puppet show in one way because it's this there's this little curtain that goes up and there's this you know stage window which is actually the side of the tank and the puppeteers are hidden backstage making all five of you right there's five yeah yeah. and they're moving all this stuff through the water um but you can't see them doing it right so it's uh um it's very um i don't know magical transportive people say it's very relaxing to them mm-hmm. there's you know there's not really a story there's kind of a musical through line and a dramatic arc um and people just get lost like everything melts away um is is the idea yeah. and i am are, are you behind the curtain every night i imagine not anymore i'm i'm not anymore although i'm there a lot actually i i um i used to perform in it um, and I love performing in it, but I thought, well, let me try and create it in a way so I'm not, it's not dependent on me. And I have a really great team of puppeteers. Um, but I jump in, I, I go in once a week, actually. Oh. Yeah, because I just like being back there. It's super fun. Um, it's you, you, quite you, hectic. For, like, it is the opposite of the... I don't know, sort of soothing, sedate. Yeah, it's totally, yes. It's like what you see in front is super smooth and um, sometimes, you know, fast-paced, but it's, right. it's the water smooths everything out. Where I'm um, backstage, it's like, it's like working in an insane, high, you know, fast-paced kitchen 
where everybody's like moving fast and ducking and throwing things to each other in and, very small spaces in I a imagine. very small yeah. space and they're um they're climbing above the tank and they swing in harnesses over the tank and it's it's super oh. physical yeah. especially since we made it a little bit bigger it's it's as if you were smaller yeah. <laughs> doing it <laughs> right um so um so it's a great workout yeah <laughs> and you get wet and and you're wearing a wetsuit through all this. And you this. wear a wetsuit, true? yeah, because right. you get soaked doing it. Because um, the water's cold, I imagine, yeah? The water's cold. Um, the the colder water is clearer. It looks better. Okay. Yeah. All right. How do you think of the success of this show kind of changing what you went on to do in, uh, in your career? Well, I, I had this – I had a – training as a puppeteer i mean i was I- I into puppetry as a kid and i actually went to this puppetry you went to school I went to a in, puppetry school in, in france. france tell us the name the école supérieure nationale des arts de la marionnette and, and are you the only american to have graduated i from am there? the only correct? american right. to have graduated from the the three-year training training program there and so i came back to new york and i was working with puppeteers um and i eventually was part of the henson puppet festival um, which was happening at the public theater, which was a really extraordinary moment for puppetry um, and theater uh, in the 90s. Mm. And I made it to the cover of the puppetry journal. And I thought I had like made it, like that was as far as I could possibly go. And then I, and that was with a, a solo show of mine mm. that I had made in France. And um, what was that called? It was called The RNA Day Show. Mm-hmm. And I played it at the, at the public theater um, in the festival. Does and that festival still exist? No. Yeah, it I ended think in so. 2000. It was uh, five festivals, and it was amazing. Mm. Um, and there's nothing like it anymore. But it created an audience for... It educated an audience in puppetry. When I did Symphony Fantastique, though, there was a whole different audience that came to see it. I had no idea, because the show spoke to obviously a puppetry audience but it spoke to a dance audience and a visual arts audience and a music audience and um because it was had this sort of like psychedelic nature there was this like late night shows that we had and this whole other crowd and then of course there were children who would come to it there was all these different audiences who came it was this truly crossover piece in every way and i was going let me just tell you that i was going back to uh look up you know on the first review of it in the new york times but there were like three or four it was like you know ben brantley doing the theater review but then there was like a dance review and a music review and a, it was like it got reviewed by every su- single section in the yeah, times it seemed like. which was totally and that was unsolicited that kind of just happened so the show was this sort of phenomenon that happened and particularly how it really impacted my career was i i was using recorded music at the time but um uh people took note and said wow you've got a great sense of music and i was immediately have you always been interested in music i I, did you know that about yourself i I, I was kind of musical i mean my my mother was musical my my grandfather was a band leader um so uh and i used to sing and chorus and stuff in school so so i i know i'm i i know i'm i'm musical um but suddenly, my next gig was at Lincoln Center, and right. I was. Um, what was that? Was that Petrushka? Or that was, was that? Petrushka, yeah. and so that was working with live musicians, which is sort of the opposite on the surreality scale of of Symphony Fantastique. Right? Well, I tried to do that because actually, I've really tried to keep keep them guessing in my mm-hmm. career and have all my whatever my show is to have 
a new show be something really new and something different. Right. So Symphony Fantastique was so abstract, and so Petrushka was absolutely super figurative, like high yeah. puppetry technique. Marionettes, um, marionettes dancing ballet, as yeah. I recall, yeah. And it was really like rigorous technique, like her toe had yep. to point and <laughs> They were his, good dancers, though. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, and then that show was like invited to Jacob's Pillow and like into the the dance world and stuff. So, but being, I guess, yeah, Symphony Fantastique opened up whole other worlds besides puppetry to me, um, particularly, and most particularly the music world. Um, and and it, what is so exciting is to finally like actually have it be performed live with an extraordinary classical artist. One of the places that you ended up uh, having worked now, so in following Symphony Fantastique is on Broadway. You've done uh, some shows uh, with with Broadway productions. I um, have done and, a couple. And what what is that? How different or not different is it from doing a show at here? <laughs> it's so different. <laughs> First of all, they're not my shows. Right. So um, I'm totally into doing a Broadway show of my own, but, um, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Mostly I'm brought in to help. Right, and so um, I'm I'm peripheral to the thrust of the show. I kind of help bring the extra magic. So I I worked on the Adams Family yeah. musical, and I um, and I helped out my friend Pee Wee Herman when he did his mm-hmm. show on Broadway, and yep. I did um, recently Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Right. I also did something with the guys in Oh Hello. You did Oh Hello, right? I did the right? giant tuna sandwich nightmares. Yep. Yeah, there was a. Bit- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is yep. a good credit. <laughs> it was, right? But it's just, it's a very different, you know, uh, Broadway doesn't have the same, um, uh, you know, how Broadway, so the, the disciplines are so divided up, costumes, scenery, props, right. and I always fall in between and mess all that up. I don't <laughs> have my, there's not a puppetry um, you know, department, there's not a puppetry union, and so every puppet is sort of is it a costume or is it a prop? And sometimes it's a scene. Oh, that's a really thing. good question. What's the answer? It depends on it's a it's a costume if it's worn, right? Um, and it, it's like who's using it? Who is it? Is it something that a performer uses? It is something that a stagehand stage uses. uses right. um, and it's um, anyway splitting hairs about that kind of stuff is challenging to yeah. the art form. Um, so puppetry has gotten a big you know foothold in on Broadway but it's mostly a lot of the biggest successes are ones where the puppeteers are visible like obviously The Lion King right. Avenue Q War Horse yeah. where there is a total clear call on these are performers they're they're performers and they're highly skilled whereas when you have a hidden performer it starts to get a little more um, there's just more gray area yeah so right. and I and I as much as I'm sort of a out there um, avant-garde puppeteer I'm old-fashioned in that I really like to have the puppeteer being hidden mm. I like to do that in most of my shows does more money make better puppets <laughs> um, uh, yes <laughs> no, no I mean it doesn't really it needs to be you know used wisely I mean um Broadway shows are more expensive um, and you ca- you can do some cool stuff um, but I-, I have made most of my career being super resourceful um, with and I'm and I'm 
I'm by no means Spartan in what I do. My stuff is pretty excessive, uh, all of my shows. Um, but I do them on a shoestring, and I do them with what's around, and that's the mother of invention. With shoestrings, too. also. With yeah, shoestrings, right. lots of them. Yeah, right. Uh, you started to mention um, your parents before, but um, you have your family has a long history with puppetry. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, kind of. So my 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 mother was a puppeteer when I was growing up in San Francisco. In San Francisco yeah. um, she was more like an amateur puppeteer. I mean, she was like some other moms. They had a, a sort of social group that did puppets and hospitals and birthday parties. But then her father. Um, uh, my grandfather was a big band leader in the 30s and 40s, but he used puppets as part of his act. Wow. It's just like a bonus thing. He had these puppets of other famous band leaders like Harry James and Cab Calloway. And Did he play the band leaders? He would operate them, he, yeah. yeah. And um, he... Um, he had one of himself too, and they were string mari- <laughs> they were string marionettes in the kind of the cabaret style of Frank Paris, who was a sort of famous puppeteer of, of, at the time, where he would just you would see him and he would bring the puppet out and it would be kind of at his feet. And um, he died before I was born, but um, my grandmother Dorothy, who I was close to, gave me those puppets when I was a kid, oh. and they're on display at the Hero Arts at Center. At Hero, that's right, um, yeah. at the theater which has her name on yep. it and where Symphony Fantastique premiered 20 and years ago. Which is the down t- downstairs space yes. for people who yeah. have been there. Yeah. Um, and and so was it always a given then that you would go into puppetry? Was there any other... Uh, I mean, you, it's it's rare for someone to go to school for it. Um, well, I, always- it certainly wasn't... It was, it's in no... I mean, there are puppeteers, even though I have this family history, it's, mm. it's in no way like... There are like... You know, in Indonesia or in Sicily, there's right. like father to son. They pass the puppets down, yeah. and it's the same. You know, it's this tradition that's being passed down. It was not at all like that. Got it. Yeah. Um, uh, and my family was supportive. I'm really lucky to have awesome parents who are supportive of who I am and what I do. And there was no pressure to be a puppeteer <laughs> from them at all. Um, but they were totally supportive when I said, you know what, I think I want to pursue this and um, they said okay so I, I came to New York actually to start to in 88 and um, to, to start working in, in the world of puppetry and I met Julie Tamor really early on okay and uh, she was doing Juan Darien oh yeah and I helped out with that and um, I worked at Theater for the New City and I oh, worked yeah. with this uh, group called the the Puppet Company, which was this like this kids company, mm. and I was part of the New York Puppet Guild, which still exists. And um, eventually, I made my way to France to this. Basically, it's a conservatory that's dedicated to puppetry. Are there any others in the world? Um, there are. Yeah. There, there are. I mean, there's there the the dedicated schools of puppetry are um, mostly in Europe. Okay. And particularly yep. in Eastern Europe, where there was a, a, a real strong tradition of, of mm-hmm. large puppet theaters that needed a lot of puppeteers, <laughs> so this sort of academies were created to sort of feed them. The the in the United States, the um, main place for to study puppetry is the University of Connecticut in Stores has um, a venerable um, puppetry program started by Frank Ballard, and that's where really the great the, the puppeteers who come and work with me 
who went to Yukon mm. have the craft. Um, otherwise, pu- people pick up puppetry. They just kind of like you pick it up. Right. You know, you apprentice. Right. You sort of see someone. You learn from someone else, or people just figure it out in their you know in their basement. Right. Where you mentioned Yukon, where where do you consider some of the most exciting puppetry happening these days? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the most the most exquisite puppetry is in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it still is. It's the 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 puppetry in in Asia still has the sort of its its ancient sort of sacred roots and. Um, and in Japan, it's also it's very serious drama. Okay. Um, this is Punraku, Punraku, yeah. yeah. Just that the tradition is so is so um, it's so rigorous and it's so beautiful. Um, it's not it's not contemporary in any way. Mm. Um, the I mean, I'm so aware of what's happening in France, um, and just because of my time there, even though it was a long time ago, I still keep in touch, and that's actually where. The reason why that school is there is because it's the sort of the headquarters of the International Puppetry Association, which is called UNIMA, which is part of UNESCO. Um, and so there's a there's a huge festival in France. There's a um, there's just there's a there's a lot more obviously support for the arts there across the board, which means that puppetry um, benefits from that too. Get some support, yeah. yeah. Right. And. You're, so Symphony Fantastique is running through mid-July um, yeah. here. And then what's next for you? Where do you go from there? Um, I just um, won uh, the Rome Prize. So Congratulations. Uh, thank yes. you. So I get to go to the American Academy of Rome um, for a year, which I'm really excited about. So I'm going to go to Rome. What will you do there? Um, I... I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I made I pro- I have a proposal for a show that I'd like to work on, um, but I'm also um, open to just inspiration and um, gelato and things like that. Um, right. But um, it, there's something actually really beautiful about doing Symphony Fantastique again after 20 years and kind of that nice shape to um, uh, a career and to take a moment and yeah. step away and have this opportunity in, in Rome. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Well, have an excellent time. I can't wait to see what you come back with. Thank you. Um, thanks for talking to me. Uh, I really appreciate your time. That was Basil Twist, whose show Symphony Fantastique is now playing at Here Arts Center through July 15th. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'll talk to Matt Bomer and Andrew Rannells, two of the stars of the new Broadway revival of The Boys in the Band. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.